Matthew chapter 24, let's uh, begin, follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see that all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so that right there, pause, that's the, the context of, of Matthew chapter 24. It's Jesus answering that question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now pause right there and give me your attention. Tonight we are in our January prophecy updates, and um, this evening our focus is, is that we're looking at seven prophetic flashpoints. Seven prophetic signs or things that little triggers that we need to be keeping our eye on in 2023. Now, as Jesus begins to explain what are going to be some of the signs leading up to his coming, notice there in verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Literally, that can be translated birth pains, and the beginning of birth pains. And you guys know that the, the closer that a woman gets to her delivery date, what happens? Those birth pains, those contractions become more frequent and intense. And this is the point that Jesus is making, although all of these things in his list are things that have been going on forever, an indication that we are moving closer to his return is that we'll see a growing intensity in these things and frequency in these things as we are heading closer to his return. As we, as we see these things are going to begin to ramp up. And then I want you to skip down to verse 42. So in light of this, Jesus says in verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So tonight we're going to look at these seven prophetic flashpoints that we need to be watching out for. And the first is found back there in verses six and seven. Look at it again. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Here's the first prophetic flashpoint that we need to be watching out for is Jesus said that you will hear of rumors of wars and rumors of wars. Now, some people will argue that there have always been wars and rumors of wars. And you know what? That is true. That is a true statement. However, there are some major players moving in the direction of war right now. And I think this is very, very significant prophetically. So I want to consider some of these war rumors that are going on right now in our world. And first of all, let's just start with the continued war that we've been watching now for over a year of Russia and Ukraine. And there doesn't seem to be any end in sight to that one. 
But whenever Russia, the reason why I want to stop and the reason why I want us to kind of focus on this is when Russia is involved in something, we need to take notice because Russia is a significant nation biblically as it relates to the last days because there is the passage in Ezekiel chapter 38, a very important passage that talks about an event that is going to take place in the last days where a group of nations led by these two primarily primarily led by these two nations, Russia and Iran, are going to come in, literally they're going to be drawn in into the Middle East to attack Israel. And so whenever Russia is involved in anything, we need to pay attention. And what's interesting is the war in Russia has not been, or the war in Ukraine has not been faring well for Russia. On day 328 of the conflict, the Russian military isn't any closer to achieving any of their objectives. These are some stats from yesterday. Now, Russia disputes this, but there's quite a few groups out there that are saying these stats are pretty accurate. These are Russia's losses. There have been 117,770 lives lost, Russian lives lost, in the war. There have been over 353,000 Russian troops that have been wounded. Armored combat vehicles lost have been over 6,000. Tanks lost over uh, 3,000. I think this is all being put up. Here we go. Um, that uh, over 3,000. Artillery over 2,000. Planes shot down 287. Helicopters shot down 276. And ships and boats that have been lost 17. So Russia has not been faring well in this battle at all. So what's the significance about this? Well, we talked about this last year. That because things have not been going the way that Putin was hoping as they invaded Ukraine, the question on a lot of people's minds is this, is he going to seek to rebound from this by setting his sights toward Israel with Iran? So we need to keep an eye on the Russian and Iranian relationship. So this was in the news this week. Last month, it was reported that Russia is supplying an unprecedented military support to Iran in exchange for drones to help them in the Ukrainian war. So they're getting drones, but they're supplying Iran with unprecedented military support. And it reported that Iran will receive a number of Russian Su-35 fighter jets by March of this year as part of a military order that includes defense systems, missiles, and helicopters. So it's clear that these two nations are in a close relationship, like the Bible says that they will be in the last days. So we need to keep an eye on Russia and Iran, which also means that we need to keep an eye on Israel and Iran. This was in the headlines. Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, of Israel will order attack on Iran if the world turns its back on Israel. This was just last week that he said this, that if Israel doesn't get the support that they're looking for from the world, watch out. Netanyahu doesn't mess around, does he? I like that guy, you know? Now, I'm not for war, but you know, I like how he just takes a stand for his people. And it's been reported that Israel has devised three operational plans to attack Iran to neutralize their nuclear program. So this is a possibility right now as we are speaking, and this could be one of the flashpoints or maybe, you know, what the, the match we could say that lights the fire in the Middle East as we watch Israel go on the aggressive, which they never do. But Netanyahu is saying, hey, if we don't get the support that we are wanting, we're going to go on the offensive. And I think of it in this way, it's almost like a bully. You know, who, anybody, I, don't, I won't embarrass you, but you know, there's always a, a bully. Some of you probably were the bully. I was going to say, anybody, anybody ever been bullied? But, but you know, 
there's always a bully in the school and he makes threats and he's, you know, picking on you and that type of thing. And, and sometimes you just have to go on the offensive. Um, my dad told me that once, like the, this bully that was, you know, he was older than me and he said, just hit him once right in the face and he won't mess with you anymore. And I did. And he was right. He didn't. Now I hit this guy in the face and then he beat the heck out of me after that. But, uh, but you know, he never did pick on me again after that. And that's kind of like Israel right now. They're, you know, Iran has been making threats forever and Israel's saying, not, we're not waiting anymore. Now, so we need to keep an eye on Israel and Iran. Now, another significant war rumor is the war rumor going on right now between China and Taiwan, and there's a growing tension between these two countries as we see China has sent 71 warplanes and seven ships just recently in the last couple of weeks toward Taiwan, and China is... There's a tension that's heating up between these two nations. And China's military said Sunday that it conducted exercises around Taiwan in response, get this, to escalating collusion and provocations from Taiwan and the U.S. after the U.S. authorized increased military assistance to the island. And, And the United States right now is teaming up with Japan. So this week, the U.S. and Japan announced a bolstered U.S. Marine presence in Okinawa, which would have advanced intelligence and anti-ship capabilities. And these two allies, U.S. and Japan, also announced a series of other initiatives designed to bring the militaries closer together in the face of what they see as China's growing assertiveness in the region. Our Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said We share a common vision with Japan to maintain a free and open Indo-Pacific and all the things that, that we're doing, you know, point towards that direction. Now, China really has been relatively quiet in, in recent years, or really just till recently, as they are now in skirmishes and, and making threats toward Taiwan and India. So what are the prophetic implications of this? Or what's the prophetic significance of this? Well, in Revelation chapter 9, it talks about a massive army of 200 million soldiers coming out of the east. Right now, China has an army of over 2 million soldiers. But get this, China also has a strong relationship with Russia. It's like Russia's involved in everything. And they, they also have, Russia has a massive army. So China's president was quoted last month as saying that China and Putin's Russia are friends with no limits. What does that mean? It's interesting. It's interesting. So keep your eye on China. Now, another war rumor that that is happening that we need to keep an eye on is in Serbia. Serbia put troops on high alert. The Serbian army says that it, it is at its highest level of combat readiness after weeks of escalating tensions between Serbia and Kosovo. And Kosovo, which has an overwhelming ethnic Albanian majority, broke away from Serbia back in 1998 and 1999. But Serbia does not recognize Kosovo as an independent state, nor do the ethnic Serbs who are living in Kosovo. And so Serbian officials in Belgrade accuse Kosovo of plotting terrorism against the Serbs in areas where there's 50,000 ethnic Serbs living in the Kosovo region. So Serbian President Aleksandar Vucic says that he will take all measures to protect our people and preserve Serbia. Now, why is this significant? Well, Russia is involved in this one too. They're also involved in this. And people are wondering if the war in Ukraine and an all-out Serbian or or break in the Serbian conflict, 
is going to be Putin's attempt to bring war to Europe. They're wondering, is this his endgame? And so a Serbian right-wing leader and ultra-nationalist has gone on record as saying that Russia's ties could help if there is a conflict with Kosovo. We're looking to, that Russia will be on our side. So this is the question being asked. If Serbia and Kosovo go to war, is that going to draw in the rest of Europe? So I want you to see this map. i put a map up here. And um, so we have Russia over here. And if you go down, you'll see um, there's Poland. Oh, Romania down here. So Russia, Ukraine, Romania. And then right down here in the bottom, it might be hard for them to see, but there's Serbia. And then you have um, Bosnia, Kosovo, all of that area is, is right in there. And so the, the question is, 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 is if Russia gets involved or Russia lends support to Serbia, is this an attempt that Russia is, is seeking to just be involved in this whole region to pull in Western Europe into this battle? And some are, some are suggesting that, that Putin is going to help start this war between Serbia and Kosovo, that would, it would be a perfect way for him to hit Europe which has put all these sanctions toward him where it hurts. Now, this is interesting. These were the headlines in 1914, July of 1929, 1914. Austria formally declares war on Serbia. Russia threatens. Already moving troops, peace of Europe, now in the Kaiser's hands. Czars forces mass on eastern border. War drums beating along the Danube, manifesto by emperor, France expects to be drawn in. Those were the uh, headlines in 1914 on July 29th at the break of World War I. What I find significant about that is that this is what's happening in the same region of the world today. In that same area, the same region around, you know, uh, Ukraine, Kosovo, Hungary, these different places. And so some people are, are wondering if Russia's involvement is going to be what could ignite, some are even thinking this, talking about this, World War III. So keep your eye on Serbia and Kosovo. So this is our prophetic flashpoint number one, is that we need to be keeping an eye on the wars and rumors of war that are happening around the world. Here's our second prophetic flashpoint. We need to keep an eye on the opposition against Israel from the nations around the world. Now we talked about this in our prophecy update in November, where the prophecy in a Zechariah chapter 12, it'll be on the screen. The Lord says, behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. So the Lord prophesied that in the last days that there would be a growing tension from the nations around the world toward Jerusalem, toward Israel. And there has been a lot of tension and outrage recently against Jerusalem in, in recent days. And it all started when the Israeli defense minister, it, Itamar Ben-Vir, made huge waves back in December. Just days after the new Israeli government was sworn in, Ben-Vir, who is one of the most extreme members of the Israeli government, paid a provocative 13-minute visit to Jerusalem's Temple Mount Al-Asqa Mosque complex. His visit was more of a protest describing the temple as the most important place for the Jewish people. And he decried what he called racist discrimination against the Jews to visit that site. You see, the Muslims don't allow the Jews 
on the Temple Mount. And those of you who have been to Israel with us know that it's quite an ordeal. And every time we come to the Temple Mount, we're never quite sure if we're going to be able to go up on the Temple Mount on that particular day. It's a very, very intense situation. I have no idea how this guy got up there, to be honest with you. But somehow he makes a visit up there and with the Dome of the Rock in the background and waving his finger at the camera, he said that there would be more visits to come, that he was going to plan on doing this more. Well, this caused a stir around the world, starting with the Biden administration that said that Israel's proposal to end the ban on Jewish prayer at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem would be an unacceptable disruption to the history historic status quo which only allows muslims to pray there so the biden administration came out right away and said this is unacceptable it needs to stay the way it's been that only the muslims can play that pray there the jews can't pray there now this coupled with a continued israeli palestinian tension is garnering a lot of condemnation from the rest of the world toward israel A report by the UN Watch revealed in 2022 that the United Nations General Assembly approved, get this, 15 anti-Israel resolutions or condemnations as compared, 15 against Israel as compared to 13 against all the other countries around the world. So 15 condemnations against Israel, 13 for the rest of the world. And I want you to contrast that by... Russia, which had invaded Ukraine, they went into Ukraine to take over Ukraine, and it was a you know complete human rights violation. They they garnered six condemnations for that, fifteen against Israel, and here's Israel trying to stand its ground and write to this land. That, that, that belongs to them as a nation. And Israel is constantly being threatened by numerous Arab and Islamic terrorist groups in the region. And yet from 2006 through 2022, the United Nations Human Rights Council has adopted 99 resolutions against Israel. Now contrast that by 41 against Syria whose president was gassing his own people. 41 resolutions against them. 13, 99 against Israel, 13 against Iran that has been constantly, you know, denying the sanctions and uh, against them, you know, and trying to uh, bolster, you know, nuclear weapons. 13 for Iran, four against Russia, three against Valenzuela, 99 condemnation resolutions against Israel in that time span. It absolutely makes no sense. But it speaks to the growing hatred against Israel around the world. And then there was this. The Biden administration condemned Israel for giving 39 million in Palestinian authority tax revenues to the victims of terrorism instead of to the terrorists. So Israel says, hey, we're going to use this money to aid those who have been victims of terrorism. We're going to use this to to help them rebuild neighborhoods that have been bombed. And the Biden administration says, you shouldn't do that. You you, you should give that money to the, the terrorist groups. How crazy is that? And on top of that, the Palestinians have received an estimated $40 billion in foreign aid, and over $14 billion of that money has gone directly to the Palestinian Authority. So Israel continues to be condemned. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responded on Saturday. He said that a United Nations General Assembly vote asking the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, to provide an opinion uh, on Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories, Netanyahu called the decision despicable. And he said this, the Jewish people are not occupiers on their own land, nor occupiers in our eternal capital, Jerusalem, and no UN resolution can warp that historic truth. 
These are the basic lines of the national government headed by me. The Jewish people have an exclusive and unquestionable right to all the areas of land of Israel, and the government will promote and develop settlement in all parts of the land of Israel, in Galilee, in Negev, in Golan, in Judea, in Samaria. So that was his response. Uh, Those are fighting words right there. Now, despite Netanyahu's objections, over 90 nations have declared in a signed statement that Israel must rescind the sanctions it's levied against the Palestinian Authority for seeking assistance from the world court. 90 nations last week coming against Israel. So we need to keep our eyes on Israel. This is flashpoint number two. Keep our eyes on Israel and the growing tension from nations around the world, which is just fulfilling the prophecy there in Zechariah chapter 12. The third prophetic flashpoint we need to keep an eye on is the move towards globalism. And this is the question that's being asked is, is there a, are we headed toward a global recession? The World Bank warned on Tuesday, the global economy will come perilously close to a recession this year, led by weaker growth in all the world's top economies, including the U.S., Europe, and China. The World Bank projects that the European Union's economy will not grow at all in 2023. The World Bank president, David Malpass, said that the the Russian invasion of Ukraine has added major new cost. He said this, the outlook is particularly devastating for many of the poorest economies where poverty reduction is already ground to a halt and access to electricity, fertilizer, food, and capital is likely to remain limited for a prolonged period. So the world economic form, they're, they're, they're looking at you know, things going on and, saying, and they're saying it's dire. We might be on the verge of a global recession. I know that's not what you want to hear tonight um, in, in coming to church. But the world economic form is meeting this week in Davos, Switzerland, and they have answers. The theme of the world economic form uh, 2023 annual meeting is cooperation in a fragmented world. And so nearly 50 heads of state and government will come together with business and society leaders to discuss solutions to the most pressing problems. And this this meeting has already been going on. And the overwhelming idea is that the solution to the world's problems will come through global unity. Now, some have suggested, maybe you've heard this, that because of or since the COVID uh, pandemic, that globalism has been on the decline, as a lot of nations have tried to deal with the pandemic and the aftermath of it on their own, kind of more isolating rather than coming together. But others are arguing that globalism isn't in decline, it's simply changing, that, that a new type of globalism is emerging. Now, one such person is the CEO of German tech giant SAP, Christian Klein, who said the world is entering the next phase of globalism. Klein is largely optimistic on the outlook for technology despite challenges posed by higher interest rates and supply chain disruptions. Klein, speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, said, we are entering the next phase of globalism with companies shifting their focus to building up resilient supply chains and improving their substantiability credentials. He added that technology is the solution to making supply chains more resilient as companies need a better handle on the data underpinning their businesses. So the general thought, what he's saying is the general thought coming out of the forum is global cooperation has mended a divided world before and it can do the same for fragmenting a fragmenting world. 
Klaus Schwab, the forum's founder and executive chairman, added, we see the manifold political, economic, and social forces creating increased fragmentation on a global and national level. To address the root causes of the erosion of trust, we need to reinforce cooperation between the government and business sectors, creating the conditions for a strong and durable recovery. Now, what's the significance of all of this? Well, we've talked about this before. In Revelation chapter 13, it tells us that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, one of the things that he's going to do is set up a one-world governmental system. That that's what he, where he is going to be the, the leader of it. And as the world continues to struggle, the stage, I believe, is being set for a world leader to come on the scene who has answers. And the world is craving this. These leaders are craving this. They're, they're looking for this. So we need to keep our eyes on the ideas that are coming out of Davos, out of the, uh, Europe, the World Economic Forum, and these leaders that are pushing and, and, and really desiring to see this globalism happen. The fourth, fourth flashpoint that we need to keep an eye on is the growing interest in a cashless society and digital currency. Central banks around the world are examining whether they should create digital currencies right now. China is already gradually unrolling one, and the Federal Reserve has jumped on the bandwagon with studies and experiments that have been underway. This was a quote from President Biden. He summarizes his vision for America in one word, possibilities. And then he said, a digital dollar may seem far-fetched, but modern technology could make it a real possibility. Moving toward a cashless society, a digital currency. Now, not everybody's a fan of this. Steve Forbes, in a post on December 15th, said, the central bank digital currencies, or the CBDC, were an anonymous threat to our freedoms. He was quoted as saying, digital money will enable governments to track every purchase or sale you make. It would be a frightening tool of control as officials could easily seize or freeze part or all of your money. He said, no wonder Beijing is so gung-ho for this. Now, the article went on to explain how and answer the question, how, how are governments going to sell this to you know, their people? How are they going to sell this to their, to their nations? How are they going to get them, them interested? And I thought this was really, really interesting. One guess is that the CBDCs will be rolled out as a universal basic income. So the idea would be that if you want a universal basic income, you will need to apply for a chip reader credit card that will hook you into the CBDC blockchain matrix. Another idea was that it would offer it in a, a massive crisis and the example they gave was hyperinflation. So this was the, this was the explanation. If inflation remained in the 8% and above range in the West, where CBDCs are most discussed, one could envision the government using this to convince businesses and consumers that a digital dollar will be a good way to control inflation. And then it said this. I thought this was the most interesting. The media would then be summoned to call everyone who thinks CBDCs are bad, a bad form of programmability and control, a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so they're going to get the, the, the media going, okay, if, you, if you're not for this, then you're a conspiracy theorist, right? Or um, sophoric strategy to vilify those who question such wisdom from Saint central bank uh, technocrats. So it's interesting to see where this is going, but there are a number of nations that are already moving toward a cashless society right now. Norway, Finland, New Zealand are the three countries closest to becoming cashless societies, followed by Hong Kong, Sweden, Denmark, Switzerland, the UK, Singapore, and the Netherlands, as well as Nigeria. 
And the Japanese government is preparing to introduce a system for companies to pay salaries digitally without going through bank accounts. Interesting. Just deposits right into your CBDC account or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. And this is, this is real. Again, what's the significance of this? Well, again, in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about when the, the Antichrist comes into power, this is what he sets up. He creates a one world monetary system that will be a cashless society where the Bible says no one will be able to buy or sell unless they have his mark. So we need to keep an eye on this growing move toward a cashless society. Our fifth prophetic flashpoint that we need to keep an eye on is the growing spirit of Antichrist. And what I mean by that is anti-Jesus that is happening in our world. And I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In Romans 12, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So there in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us that we should not be conformed to this world. Phillips, in his translation of this verse, puts it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its system. Did you know that the world has a system that it is trying to squeeze us into? And it is a system that is demonically inspired. And the focus of the system is to squeeze God out of our society. It's been going on for a long, long time. So let's take the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms. Let's take prayer out of our schools. Let's take the Bible, you know, out of our schools. All of this has been going on for a while. It's part of the system to squeeze God out of our society and to squeeze people into a system, a mindset in living a defiance against God. And this is one of the things that we talked about in our September prophecy update when we looked at how the last days, Jesus said, would be like the days of Lot and the days of Noah. And we mark that the two characteristics of those societies were that they, they were living in defiance against God. And that's the system of the devil is to move the world in a direction of defiance against God. And it starts with turning from the truth. So when the world says there's no absolute truth, truth is what you feel. Now, new research has claimed that most Americans don't think that moral standards come from the Bible anymore. That's the mindset in America. That the American Values Study found 42% of respondents believe that what you feel in your heart is now your proper moral compass. How many of you have had conversations like this lately with people? Turning from the truth, ignoring the truth. And you're like, they're like, well, why do, why do you think that? Well, I, don't know, I, just, I just feel it. I just feel that this is right. Nothing to stand on, but, but just their, their feeling. And this is so sad. Get this. In 2022, a survey, of a, a survey of a thousand Christian pastors across seven major denominations revealed that only 37% of the clergy have a biblical worldview. No wonder we're in trouble. And even pastors are turning from the Bible. And you see, when a nation turns from the truth of God's word, we start making up our own truth. And the result is we start redefining what a baby is. We redefine what gender is. We redefine what, what marriage should be. And a complete moral decadence and confusion 
is a result of it. This was a story that came out of Canada last week. On January 5th, the National Post reported how Canadian schools aid students gender, gender transition without family consent. The article lays out details of what is becoming standard practice in Canadian public schools across the country. The report begins by detailing how a Calgary teacher told a sixth grade class that their classmate had come out as transgender, but they must not slip in identifying their classmate's new identity so that the classmate's parents couldn't find out. Not crazy? When the mother found out, she said, my school is teaching 11-year-old kids how to lie to their parents. But this is also happening here in the United States. Celebrating gender ideology is a major part now of most school systems. And now the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, or the GLSEN organization, wants to make sure that the 2023 school calendar year is promoting as many LGBTQ special days as possible. Among those many days that they want to celebrate is the International Transgender Day of Visibility, which is supposed to be celebrated this year on March 31st, followed by the Lesbian Visibility Day, which is supposed to be celebrated on April 26th. Guys, this is a system that is trying to squeeze us into its mold, and it's demonic, and it's aggressive. So how do we combat this? Well, look back at our passage. If you guys could put that Romans passage back up, please. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's stop right there. It starts, this is how we combat it. It starts with you and I presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. In other words, it's the realization that you belong to God. That's what it means to present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's the realization that, that you exist for God. The word, when he says holy, that means set apart. It's the idea that, that God has saved us and he's consecrated. He set us apart unto himself. That's what a saint is. The Bible calls us saints. And the saint is somebody who has been set apart from the world and set apart to God. And so it's recognizing that, that I exist for God. I'm giving myself to him. The word acceptable means I'm yielded to God. And notice what Paul says. This is your reasonable service. Other translation put it this way. It's your reasonable service worship and the the word reasonable this is what it means it makes sense and haven't you found this to be true haven't you found this to be true that living for jesus when you make that decision where you're no longer going to live for yourself and you're living for the lord and your priorities are based on on who he is that it makes sense That your life starts to make sense. That things start to to fall into place. This is what Paul is saying. But then he, he continues, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it squeeze you into its system. How do you do that? By your life being transformed, your mind being renewed by the word of God. It's connected to the word of God. It's when the word of God becomes the basis for your your living. Where the word of God becomes the, the, the basis for how you view life. How you view sex, how you view marriage, how you view gender, how you view money, how you view purpose, that all of that is being formed by the word of God as your mind. You're not being squeezed. You're not being conformed to this world, but there's a transformation that is happening 
as you seek God and you spend time in his word. And notice what Paul says. Here's the result. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But when a society doesn't do that, when a society turns from the word of God, an anything goes mentality becomes the result of that. Did you see this? This was right here in San Diego last week. A 17-year-old girl in Santee discovers a naked man in the women's locker room at the YMCA. Did you guys see this? Earlier this month, 17-year-old Rebecca Phillips was showering at the Santee facility after her swim workout when she noticed a naked man in the women's locker room. Phillips immediately went back into the shower, terrified, hid behind the curtain until she hoped he was gone. After that, she ran to a bathroom stall to quickly change before notifying the people at the front desk about the situation. But when she went to the people at the front desk and she was saying this to the, to the city council, she said, when I asked the YMCA management about the policy was regarding transgenders, they confirmed that the man I saw was allowed to be in the shower wherever he pleased. How crazy is that? She added, I was made to feel as though I had done something wrong when I talked to the people at the YMCA, she told the council members, and she said the indecent exposure of a male to a female minor was an inconvenience to them. Do you know what YMC stands for? Young Men's Christian Association. That's how it was started. Young Men's Christian Association. Boy, have they moved a long way from how they started, a long way from their beginnings. But that's what happens when a culture, when a nation moves away from the truth. So keep your eye on this growing, aggressive, demonic agenda that is moving our culture away from Jesus and is becoming more and more anti-Jesus. And we need to see it for what it is. It's, it's our world system trying to squeeze us into its mold. And the mold, the goal, is defiance against God and the worship of self. That's the focus. That's the system. That's this demonic agenda that is happening in our world. The sixth prophetic flashpoint that we want to consider tonight is the growing cancel culture and persecution against Christians. Did any of you see this story? A Michigan woman was canceled from Planet Fitness. Why? Well, the same thing happened to her. Someone who looked like a man was in the woman's locker room. So she went to the front desk after someone who looked like a man entered the locker room while she was changing. And she said, I wanted to know why there was a man in the woman's locker room, she told CNN. He looked like a man, and that's what stopped me in my tracks. She was told by the front desk employee that Planet Fitness has a no-judgment policy which allows people to use the changing room based on their sincere, self-reported gender identity. She complained to the corporate headquarters, and they told her the same thing and canceled her membership. Now, I don't know if this woman was a Christian or not, but this is what we're going to be seeing more and more of, is this cancel culture against Christians. A major cultural change is taking place right now, right before our very eyes. That Christianity... A long traditional and accepted part of society is increasingly being silenced by governments, courts, businesses, and technology. I mean, we've seen it, right? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you are saying things, and and, and they have, Facebook has hundreds of people monitoring this. So does YouTube. Monitoring this all, or monitoring this all the time, looking for people who are saying things that, that don't agree with their ideology that they can cancel. 
So there's an anti-God secularist have, edged, have conducted a decades-long war on Christianity with the goal of expunging it from American life. That's what we're experiencing. That's what we're see, seeing happening in our world right now. What does this mean? Where does it, where's it headed? Well, those who hold a Judeo-Christian values that were common for the first 200 years of our nation's existence now are finding themselves mocked, belittled, attacked, and if they dare express or stand for their views. So if we as Christians take a stand, for morality. If we take a stand for what the Bible says, if we stand to protect our children from exposure or from ideologies that go against God, we will find ourselves, we can end up finding ourselves canceled. Your kids could be, possibly, they might get kicked out of school. You might lose your job. A church like ours, we could get sued. This is where things are heading in our world right now. This is the world that we are living in, but we need to stand. We need to stand. Stand for truth. Where we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And we stand for truth. This was interesting. Author David Horowitz, who was himself a student radical during the 1960s, but who became a conservative in the early 1980s after he became disgusted with the evils of the left, Horowitz wrote in his book, Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. He said this, referring to the millions of Christians murdered in totalitarian regimes in the 20th century, Horowitz writes, radicals in America today don't have the political power to execute people and destroy their houses of worship. Yet, they openly declare that their desire to obliterate religion. In their minds, their intentions are noble, and they want to save the human race from the social injustice and oppression that religion allegedly inflicts on humanity. Their agenda to obliterate religion, to come against those. There's a war going on, but this is what we need to understand. It's a spiritual war, and we need to pray, and we need to watch. But you know what? It's not just here. We have it easy. Christian uh, Persecution of Christians is surging around the world right now. That across 76 countries, more than 360 million Christians are suffering high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. And that's an increase of 20 million just in the past year. The persecution, growing persecution. What's the significance of this? Again, as the world moves toward this one world government, this one world economy, this one world religious system that the Antichrist is going to set up, those who are not on board are going to be canceled. Now, I believe we're not going to be here during that time, but the stage right now is being set and this cancel culture is a part of that. So we need to keep an eye on that. Finally, the seventh prophetic flashpoint to keep an eye on in 2023 is the global spiritual delusion and global deception happening in our world. And I'm, I'm speaking of this primarily from the standpoint of in the church. In the church where we're seeing people who are just giving into delusion, turning from the faith. But this is what Paul said would happen. I want to read to you a few verses that Paul wrote in First and Second Timothy. First of all, First Timothy 4, he said this. Now the Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn from the true faith. Note that. They're turning from the faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. And teachings that come from demons. We need to understand that. That a lot of these ideas that are even infiltrating into the church today that are causing people to question their faith are deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons. 
And he says, these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead and they will say it is wrong to be married. They're going to challenge the institution of marriage and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Paul says, hey, this is where you're going to see in the last days, you're going to see people who were in the faith turning from the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, he said this, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So this is an exhortation to, to guys like me, but also to people like you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, key phrase there, They will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. And again, this is something that we are seeing a lot in our world right now. It was several years ago. I ran into a guy at the the gym who um, used to, to go here. And um, we were talking and he said to me, he says, oh, Pastor Robbie goes, I, I really, really, I, I miss Calvary. I miss your, your teaching. You know, it's always so solid, you know, in the word. And, and I said, well, where have you been? He goes, oh, you know, we're, we're going to this other church right now. And he says, and the reason is, he goes, it's my wife. He says, you know, when we would come to your church, she said she'd always leave feeling bad about herself. But we go to this other church where she always leaves feeling good about herself. So that's where we go. <laughs> now, you guys have been listening to me for a long time. I don't think I'm like a, you know, uh, hell-raising, condemning guy. But that's the Holy Spirit, right, that brings conviction. But she's like, I don't like that. I don't like, you know, people getting in my soup. I want to go somewhere where I feel good about myself. And obviously, he wasn't being the leader of his family. But, you know, that's the, the mentality, I, I want to go, I want to, I want to listen to somebody who's going to tell me what I want to hear, make me feel good about myself. Paul said that's what would be happening in the last days, and it's happening in mass in the church today, but not here, not us, right? Not here. We need to have the mentality of Paul as he's talking about he's running the race that is set before him. And the race that he's running, guys, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So there's a need for perseverance. There's a need for endurance. And this is what Paul wrote. He says there in 2 Timothy 2, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there's reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And I love this. Don't don't miss this. And not only me, but all of those who have loved his appearing. Note this. Paul's saying one thing that kept him going, one thing that helped him to persevere was he loved the Lord's appearing. In other words, he was watching for the coming of Jesus. And it was the coming of Jesus that encouraged him to not sit around, to not be idle, to not hide, but to keep running and keep serving and keep fighting. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul's saying, look, my life has been about, I want to keep making a difference. And this is, and I tell you this all the time, this is the reason why we are doing these prophecy updates every couple months or so is the goal of these prophecy updates is not to create within us an attitude of escapism where we're just like, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus, please come back you know, quickly. But it's to create within us a heart and a spirit of activism where we're recognizing and realizing that we are living in a dark world, but that the, the method that God has chosen to reach this world is through people. 
Not angels, not animals, people like you and I. And that's why we are still here. And I know that this is why you're here tonight. This is why you came out on a Wednesday night to hear a prophecy update is because you love the Lord's appearing. And Paul said, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for you. But church, we need to be like Paul. And we need to keep running. We need to fight the good fight. We need to keep the faith. And we need to realize that we are here to tell people around us in our spheres of influence that don't know Jesus, that there is hope in Jesus because he went to the cross and he died in our place and he rose again to give us life. And Jesus is coming back again. And that's who our hope is in. That's why we're here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us as your church to watch, to be on the alert, to be aware of what's going on in our world. You told us that no one knows the day or the hour of your coming, but we can know the times and the seasons. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be watching, that we would be running the race, this marathon that we're in with endurance, with perseverance, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would remember why we're here, to make a difference in this world to reach out, to love upon, to share Jesus with people who are confused about their gender, their sexual identity. People who are confused about when is a life a baby. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide, that we wouldn't isolate, that we wouldn't just sit back and say, oh, things are getting so bad, but that we would realize that you've placed us here to be your ambassadors, your mouthpieces, your hands, your feet, your heart. So stir us up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.